Elvis, 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 This movie sucked. <laughs> Thank you for that delightful intro, Morgan. Right before we start, I was like, wait, do you got a harmonica? We can maybe do something here. Yeah. We were, we honestly, we struggled for like 10 minutes beforehand saying to each other, like, how the fuck do we introduce this movie? Like, what do we even say about something so bad? How do you introduce something like this? It's like, it's like going, imagine going to Thanksgiving and like your plus one is just a massive actual turd. What do you say to your family? Like, hey, this is an actual turd. You can't just come out and say that, right? No, you got to dress it up a little bit with a bit of harmonica or some, you know, give them a little razzle-dazzle, help them swallow that pill a little bit easier. Anyway, you guys know what I think about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Matt? It's that time, finally, was, yeah. the one we've been dreading for so long. It's 1968. Stay away, Joe. Stay away, Joe. Yeah. I wish this movie had stayed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right off the top, let's let's clear something up. Is this this is okay. worse than Flaming Star? This is worse than Flaming Star. So at least like Fl- Flaming Star was really really bad. Sure. And had some really serious implications behind its being so bad, but the implications behind this movie are much worse than they are in Flaming Star. Like in Flaming Star, a regular person might go out into the streets in 1960s and be like, "Yeah, the Indians were all." stupid and dumb and idiots and that's why we had to colonize Lynn and blah 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 right but in this movie because it's set so current this reinforces the idea that a regular guy could walk out of the cinema after seeing this and think that it's okay to harass and demean and degrade any indigenous person that they might come into contact with because this movie portrays them as freaking assholes. <laughs> yes. So that's the implication. Not to say that that happened en masse, just that that's the reason why we want to think critically about what these movies say. And the, that is often the implication is that people are going to watch this movie, white people are going to watch this movie and think that that's an honest interpretation of what indigenous people live like and suffer through and use that as an excuse to justify their shitty behavior towards indigenous people. And hopefully a lot of those white people were like me and they would watch this movie and go, what the hell do they do to Burgess Meredith? Why is everyone <laughs> so brown? Yeah, that li- honestly, literally when I started watching this movie, I was I was going to be good. I was like, oh, I'll write notes and I'll, I'll show them no. out. I can remember all the facts and the amount of songs and the whole nine yards. And then I wrote down why is Elvis so brown? And then everything that happened after that was so fucking shocking to me that I didn't write down a single other point. I just wrote down why Elvis so brown for, and that was that was it. Meanwhile, my I did a little extracurricular work this time, yes. and I actually I've acquired all of the books that were made into movies. Okay. Because actually, yeah, wait, okay, let me let me set yeah, the scene. Yeah, so yeah, I, I have a question. Sure. Go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say this is the first time since Follow That Dream that the source material for this is, is not just an original screenplay that just pooped out of nowhere. It's instead a novel that someone pooped out, and then they found the novel, and then they're like, let's turn this into a movie. Right. I have a question. Is the book Stay Away Joe about native people? 
Yes. That is so this is a, that is this so is freaking crazy. Written by a white dude, of course. I can't believe that. But going into <laughs> some of the background info on it, the main character, the guy played by Burgess Meredith. Right. In the book, he's Metis. Right. And his name is Louis Champlain. They're, they have a Champlain as their last name instead of uh, Light Cloud, which is what they changed it for. Oh, for right. This movie. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Light Cloud. <laughs> so, anyway, so, okay. So, I'm going to do a lot of comparisons, obviously. Because here's the thing. Okay. The, Let's not dwell on it too much because the point is both of these works are fucking terrible. <laughs> yes, but the book, yeah. the, the Joe from the book, yeah. the title of the book makes a lot more sense because the Joe of the book is the worst. Right. He sucks. So right. the whole time I was reading the book, I was like, they're they are going to sugarcoat this so hard when they make Elvis Joe in this They've movie. And they did. They oh, yeah. definitely did. So just put take, keep that in mind. What you watched was the nicer version of Joe's character <laughs> because in the book, he's like irredeemable. He's right. He keeps going to his sister who works at the bank and just borrowing money from her and oh sleeping God. around. And anyways, well, let's, let's, okay, let's yeah. center ourselves Let, before we just completely yeah. devolve into I uh, I do want to say, yes. I just want to talk about also like my first impressions, go, going go back it. to first impressions. Like Elvis comes on screen and he was so brown and I was like, where'd they do that for? And then I saw, I guess this person, Bridges. Burgess Meredith. And- I was like, who's this guy like out in the desert? What's going on? And then it dawned on me that he was supposed to be a native person. Yes. That he was supposed to be like, and then I realized that this was a movie about natives in the 1960s on reservations. And then I was, I just, I, I didn't. I couldn't quantify how upset that alone made me. I thought I had warned you, but you might have forgotten. I think you, I think since... you may have, but I just... <laughs> Chris laughed at me. Like, after I was done watching it, he was like, how was your movie? And I was like, it was so bad. And he just laughed at me because what else can you do? It was so... I just couldn't believe it. All right, let's get on with it. Let's okay, let's let's set. Regular... Yeah, we'll do our regular setup now that we've really just. This is what this <laughs> movie will do to you, but, folks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the year is 1968. This is the second movie of 1968. So this was released March 8th. This was released before Speedway. Okay. But Speedway was done first. Right. Which is why we did it. And this makes so much more sense. See, doing this production order wise really helps illustrate like this is the, the there's a specific dividing line. Right. Because between like Tickle Me and Speedway, it's all very much the formula is so rigid. Right. Yeah. And this is like a, a clear break from that yeah. to something much worse, unfortunately. But I was yeah, like, it is. It, it was trying something different. It, yeah, it sure fucking was. It's MGM again. Before I get to the synopsis, I'll give what little nice things I will say throughout the movie is that the cinematography and the way it was shot, yeah. it felt like a 70s movie. That's the first thing. My first impression right off the bat, opening credits, yeah. very... I loved I loved the opening credits. Yes. They were beautiful. It looks like a real film for like the yeah. first 20 <laughs> seconds. You're exactly... the Just the slow opening of the sun rising. With this kind of melancholy desert, music. No fuss, no muss, no title. Just yeah, yeah. credits rolling. Just hop on. I simple white too, font. Just regular. Yeah. Like, just, just nothing else. Fuck, man. Okay. But yeah, and just the way like all of it is <laughs> shot is like very handheld and it's on location. So it just, it felt yeah, like a, something say, from 1970. I couldn't... There was parts I couldn't tell. I was like, is this on location? It was one of the things I was like, either this is not on location and you have to give them props for like going out and actually filming somewhere new and interesting 
or it's on location and they are so good at lighting that like it's a wonder they worked on this project at all when they could have had their pick of the litter Mm -hmm. so i'm glad to hear that it was done on location yeah the only parts that were a set were anytime we were inside the house which is like falling yeah. apart and all that stuff. Oh God, and we'll get to the fucking house. Oh yeah, they're shack. Anyways. We're going to get to all of it, man. We're going to get to the fucking... Okay. <laughs> so here's the synopsis. <laughs> get a load of this story. God damn it. Can I also... Another thing I'll mention. Yeah. I just want to think of these before I forget. So out of all of the books that were turned into Elvis movies, it's the only one that kept the title. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's just a fact to throw out right a quote-unquote fun fact what little fun (laughs) is to be had here i think i counted eight books that were made into elvis movies there's oh i I thought you were gonna say there's like eight in this series oh geez the continuing adventures (laughs) keep staying away why aren't you gone yet joe and then finally (laughs) did you finally come back (laughs) back again part two Double back, double down. <laughs> oh, no, I acquired all the books. We're going to see my collection. I will probably post them on the Twitter there and do a little show and tell. Mm-hmm. But one of those, just for like completionist sake, I got a copy of Kid Galhad, even though, as we know, mm-hmm. that was more a remake of the original movie, which was itself based on the book. Yes. So it's like an extra step removed. But I got it yeah. anyways, because it specifically it was an edition from 1962 when the movie had come out. Yeah. Anyway, you got the books. You're all the books. They're all very nice. You're going to do a show and tell. And then what happened? So yeah, I've, I read Stay Away Joe. I will do some comparing and contrasting when need be. Okay. Just like the movie is like well shot, but the story, is like the content is just horrible. Yeah. The book is well written and it, it's very engaging. Yeah. And it's only, it's, it's relatively short. It's like 250 pages, but it's like a large print, like hardcover edition. Gotcha. And it's very episodic. Right. The movie is actually a fairly good condensed adaptation as far as these things go. Okay. While also making all the characters more likable, but because you have the visuals of these white actors playing all of yeah. it, it's, it's we'll much worse that. in that respect. But it is what you're trying to tell me that this is the only fucking Elvis movie that not only like adhered closest to the story it was based off of, used the source material title and is apparently like just as good as the book. <laughs> this is the only one. No, I, well, I haven't read most of the other ones yet. Oh, I see. Like when we did Follow That Dream and when we did those other ones, I hadn't gone the extra mile yet. Gotcha. I've done that. I, maybe I will down the line read them. Okay. But like I remember when we did the Follow That Dream episode, I went to the Amazon preview page and like read the first like the opening chapter because mm-hmm. it's describing them like seeing the sign and then ignoring the sign and then getting stuck on the like it, that seems like it was probably pretty accurate and more links between those two they're both very like exaggerated they're they're labeled as satires they're labeled as farces gotcha okay but you know someone's taken this seriously oh yeah of course well it, the 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 fact that it's a satire or a farce does not diminish the fact that it's inherently telling the audience that indigenous people are a bunch of schmucks it's using that to its benefit it's like when you go to the grocery store if every time you wanted to get something up off the tall shelf the movie producer trampled on a store employee got their shit off the shelf and then made a movie about it where they laugh at the employee for being incompetent that's what this movie is like Right. So the fact that it's a farce is only further wrong in what they're doing. Right. I would have felt, you know, less peeved about this movie if they had not been farcical, if they had gone in and been like, this is how indigenous people live, because then you can just be like, yeah, no, it's not true. And you're an idiot for thinking it is. But 
now we have on top of that the added caricature or the added idea that yeah indigenous people are like this we're going to assume that and then also it's funny that they're like that it's a big funny joke god indeed all right let's try to okay for real this time though no for real here we go structure okay the synopsis is this is from imdb yeah it's mgm a mixed race american indian rodeo champ returns to the reservation to help his people out oh god that is the one sentence setup oh god Okay. Help his people out. Yeah, that's what it says. <sighs> Let's ignore that for now. The director of this is Peter Tewksbury. Okay. He has 28 credits. He also directed The Trouble with Girls, which is coming up. Right. There was actually another director that was originally attached to this named Burt Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering what his whole deal was, he did a bunch of Westerns. Yeah. So it makes sense. He directed Return of the Seven, which I don't know if you knew that the original Magnificent Seven has three sequels. I didn't know that. Yeah. He directed the second one, Return of the Seven, in 1966. Nice. He also, this is a really funny title. It's a revisionist Western starring Frank Sinatra, and it was called Dirty Dingus McGee. Jesus. From 1970. <laughs> okay. And then he ended his career in 1991. And like one of the last major directing things I saw was the Hulk Hogan sci-fi comedy Suburban Commando. That's bizarre. Which is a monumentally classic bad movie. Yeah. Pretty much anything Hulk Hogan touched as far as his cinematic oeuvre is gold, (laughs) okay? (laughs) If you say so, Matt. I should know. I'm an expert. If there's one thing I know, it's some good bad movies. True, true, true. It's honestly what we should have been doing a podcast about instead of Elvis. It's honestly, yeah. Like, I can talk about Chopping Mall till I'm fucking blue in the face, right? Hell yes. Yeah. Anyway, talk about anything other than this fucking movie. I know, I know. (laughs) We're going to slowly All keep right. moving on. Let's go to the cinematographer. Yeah. Because yeah. once again, good job. cinematographer used some nice naturalistic. Those yeah, clouds, like job. I said, they shot he this He handled in... the light. He handled yeah. the light really well. Anything at, shot at night was like yeah. the levels were good, no, the contrast true. and all that. <laughs> yeah. So the cinematographer on this is Fred J. Konekamp. Mm-hmm. He won an Oscar in 1974 for The Towering Inferno. Oh. And it was a joint okay. win with Joseph Byrock. Who was the cinematographer on Viva Las Vegas? I see. And Fred J. Konekamp will return for Live a Little, Love a Little, okay. which we'll be doing actually next week. All right. Other accolades <laughs> before we keep going. He has some Oscar nominations for 1970s Patton with George C. Scott, and then a 1977 movie Islands in the Stream. Hmm. So you'll know that both of those were after this movie. So that's good. <laughs> that's always nice. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So those those people. Yeah. Moving along. The writer of this, he wrote, do you remember this title? He wrote the 1966 movie, The Navy versus the Night Monsters. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He will go on to write Live a Little, Love a Little. Yeah. So we have the returning cinematographer and the returning writer for that. Also, it turns out he was a dialogue coach and or dialogue supervisor for Tickle Me, Spin Out, and Speedway. So he's been around. There's a reason they talk so funny. I thought it was just the times. (laughs) And I added an extra category this week because I think it's more relevant than ever before. Okay. The people responsible for the makeup. I decided to bring them up. Fuck him. No, do you want it? (laughs) Honestly, though. Here's the the deal. with him? Okay, here's the thing. Remember how we shit on Edith Head? Yeah. Because of the costumes? Yeah. It's the same thing. He was the head makeup supervisor for any MGM picture. Right. So they had to have him on. He was the guy. Gotcha. Which sucks because this dude was super legit, yeah. just like Edith Head. It was actually two of them. Jeez, it was man. He was the supervisor, William Tuttle. Yeah. He was the head of MGM's makeup department. He actually won in 1965 a special Oscar for his work on George Powell's Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, mm. which co-starred Barbara Eden and Arthur O'Connell. Barbara Eden, who was in Flamestar, and Arthur O'Connell, who was in Follow That Dream and Kiss and Cousin. Oh, 
But that was 17 years before they actually made an official Oscar category for makeup. Oh, I didn't know that um, that it didn't have an official category. Yeah. Okay, well, I I guess that's, I mean... I know. This he shouldn't not- have done it. He shouldn't have done it. Like, even... I know that the culture in Hollywood is really fucked, right? It still is to this day really fucked. And trying to portray POC in any time period, let alone the fucking 60s, is fucked. It's it's not great. But that doesn't mean, like, we have to like that, you know? I, no, I we don't. I hate it really- for these guys. I hate this yeah. having to have had to happen to them. But they were under yeah. contract. That's the way the studio system worked. You had to do it. Yeah. He was the head of the department. I, I'm not trying to be like too politically argumentative, but those people are in a position. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you position. mean those people? <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood people. Okay. You know, white people, obviously, who are in a position of authority and control in the movie making industry they have a responsibility whether they have the capacity to represent people appropriately or not without losing their jobs to respectfully represent people without making caricatures out of them that are going to really endanger the lives of those people that the point i'm trying to illustrate is that when you when you take people and you dress them up like your interpretation of indigenous people, I get that you're on contract. I get that you have a job. I get that you'll probably lose that job if you refuse that contract. But you losing a contract for a job and you causing long-term like shitstorm effects for people who are already at the lowest level of the social ladder, I don't have anything nice to say about it. <laughs> You know, I get it. I get there's a culture and I get that every white person, prob- like most white people anyway, were a part in sustaining that culture, not necessarily because they were putting into it, but because they were just along for the ride and the ride happened to be headed by a bunch of fucking racists. I get it. But you can still choose to get off the bus and find some place to work. You don't have to do it at the expense of running over people who are already been run over. <laughs> and all of your complaints should equally fall upon Elvis's shoulders. Absolutely, 100%. As much as I love Elvis, you know, and I love Elvis, him showing up in this movie, browned the fuck out for no goddamn reason, is super wrong. And he shouldn't have done it. And he shouldn't have... God, there were so many things that nobody should have done that they did. And I can't defend Elvis, you know, I can't go out, like, most indigenous people do this, like, we can't defend Elvis. Elvis was not a cool dude. He stole from black musicians, he appropriated cultures, he fucking browned himself up to be a half-native, you know, that shit's not appropriate. Anyway, I don't want to get too polarizing, just, that's what what I'm going to say about that, and we'll leave it. (laughs) Okay, let me finish off with these guys. So William Tuttle was the supervisor, and he worked... Through the majority of his career, he was like supervising John True, who was the other makeup artist. Yeah, fuck him too. (laughs) I'm just being inflammatory. Before doing this, (laughs) William Tuttle actually worked on makeup for Elvis movies as far back as Jailhouse Rock. Oh, wow. Jailhouse Rock, Live a Little, Love a Little coming up. Those were only William Tuttle. And then with William Tuttle as supervisor and John True as the main makeup artist, Girl Happy, Harem Scarum, which, duh, that makes sense. Spin Out, Double Trouble, Speedway. And the upcoming The Trouble with Girls. You gotta wonder what they said to convince Elvis to do this. Like, I have a feeling that in the late 60s, people 
kind of already knew. Oh, wait. Wait till we get to, to the realize. reviews. Like, no oh, one okay. was happy That's about good. this. Don't worry. Good. People were like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah. It's 1968. It, it, yeah. It's like, the, okay, okay. All right. We'll get to the reviews. We'll let them speak for themselves. How many songs are in this movie, Matt? You tell me. Four. Yeah, that's it. Only four. That's right. I did it! <laughs> Woo! Yay! <me! laughs> Finally! Your prize is you get to First hear me try? talk more about this movie. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Wait, I also want to just... I, I, I wrote down that those makeup dudes also did the makeup for Forbidden Planet from 1956, The Time Machine from 1960, and Young Frankenstein in 1974. Ah, damn. Those are good movies. All infinitely better movies. Yeah, damn. just watch those. And all right, based on the novel Stay Away Joe from 1953, written by Dan Cushman. Bad job. Everybody needs a spanking. (laughs) Here's another wild thing. The screenplay was also adapted into a failed Broadway musical called Whoop Up that retained a lot of the plot and characters and only lasted like not even 50 performances or something. Wait, Stay Away Joe was made into a Broadway musical? Yes. Oh my goodness. A failed Broadway musical. Deservedly so. Oh. It did not last. What do they freaking do? Get a bunch of freaking white people in brown face, give them a couple bottles of whiskey I don't know. and throw them out on the stage and be like, there, pretend to be fucking Indians. Bastards. Let's I'm talk so, about... I'm so salty. No, well, no, this <laughs> is this, this is to be it. expected. Yeah. Yes. That's what you get. Okay, let's talk about some alternate titles. Because <laughs> sure. I guess even though they had the title of the book and they did decide... Oh, to... I actually... I know these ones. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, go, go Alternate go title for this was... Trash fire on a heap of burning garbage. Mm-hmm. and A little too wordy, so they, they had to cut yeah. it Yeah, so they did that, and they just went with literal shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just two of them this time. Nice and easy. Uh, in French, though, they did have a release in Quebec, and it was Les Merdes. <laughs> you say that. No, I actually have the French title from France. Oh, God. It was called Micmaco Montana. No, 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 no. Yep. Okay, just some background for you guys, because I know people don't know a lot about indigenous people, but the Mi'kmaq are a tribe. They are an actual people, so at least they named an actual people. But the problem is, I'm pretty sure the Mi'kmaq are not from that region that is I don't being know. shown. I didn't double check this. I'm pretty sure they're definitely not the characters in this movie. Absolutely, they are not. I'm pretty are sure the, the Mi'kmaq are on the west coast in the book i don't know if they ever specified in the movie but in the book it's it's blackfoot they're blackfoot that might make sense actually or i think well i think it's the thing is i think the book has like a bit of a mix i think because there's some characters that are from like out of town that are like navajo there's there's a lot of stuff going on micmac and the blackfoot are different people believe it or not anyway the point is no nobody fucking cared because it was the 1970s that's fine we'll just wait i actually i think i have some positive news i can talk about that will cheer you up a bit oh Okay. So there's a movie coming out. Yeah. That is being made entirely in the Blackfoot language and shot on Ooh. the land with all indigenous actors. Oh. Yes. It's part it's going to be part of the Montana Film Festival. It was all shot entirely on tribal land of the Pigeon Blackfoot Nation. It's the first film made in the native language of the Pikini people. That is very exciting. Yeah. And it's called uh, Suyi, S O O Y I I. S O O Y I I. Yeah. Suyi. I believe yeah. There are some, believe it or not, folks, there are some actual good, really good quality movies centered around indigenous people that have come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, you want like a funny, like an actual fun comedy that has indigenous people? Smoke Signals. Yeah, go watch Smoke Signals. Yeah. That's like got a heightened... Then she took the bannock and she ripped it in half. (laughs) 
legendary. That's a good freaking yeah, story. Yeah, that's man. like that's they they've cranked it up, right? It's a bit of a satire. Yeah. There's it's but it's not like insulting, you know? You actually have to yes, care for your yeah. characters. It's made that's the by, first step. by Nishnobs for Nishnobs. Got Adam Beach in there. Everybody likes him. Some Adam Beach. Holy smoking heckin' heckin' jeez, eh? Let's let's okay, yeah. Let's we'll, we're gonna keep going, but every time we start getting too worked up, we'll, let's let's make a suggestion yeah, we'll of another do, better yeah. movie to watch with actual. Absolutely. Okay, so let's continue with the songs. There's only four songs. Okay, they all suck. Yeah. One, <laughs> so there's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, it's, it's not up for debate. Listen to these freaking titles, too. We got "Stay Away." Okay. That's the title yeah. track. Well, not the title track, but because there's also the song "Stay Away, Joe." <laughs> Thank God. How else would we know? Yeah. <laughs> How else would we know? What this There's the song about? Dominic. Oh, yeah. Which is really weird, and it would have been so much weirder if they had shot it in the original context that it was supposed to be. I'll get to that. Okay. All right. And, okay, this one is halfway decent. All I Needed Was the Rain kind of has a nice tune to it. Just because if I didn't know what movie it was from, yeah. like, it's out of context, it's, it's an okay. <laughs> yeah, you might you might be like, yeah. That's so bad. All I needed was the rain, you know? I These tracks were very country. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, no, yeah, for sure. They were like hollering Tom Canna, holding beer and crusting up and near for sure, for sure, but the country music. Like, they were really country music in this one. Which, I don't know why they think that indigenous people listen to so much country music. Like, I get that it was the 60s, but like, you know, indigenous people were like popping off on like rock at that time like rock was the big thing they should so have th had them just listening to elvis songs <laughs> like actual classic know, 50s I elvis yeah. i was literally <laughs> just gonna say that like when my nana was a teenage girl on the reservation she listened to elvis music she didn't listen to country music she was listening to rock and roll they should have just like that that jukebox that was in gi blues where they played it's, yeah they should have just had that on like elvis music. the house beside the house and they just should be cranking out hound dog and a bunch of stuff Fuck. my god <laughs> um, <laughs> i know instead we have the artist formerly known as elvis <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go back and talk about the song Delilah or Delilah. Oh, Dominic, right, right, Dominic. Dominic. <laughs> so, so in the movie, the Dominic. Yeah. In the movie, he's chasing around those two different girls and he's yeah. singing the song Dominic. Yeah. Okay. Here's the setup of the book, and here's the setup of the movie. They they follow the exact same plot. The inciting incident is that the government comes down to Mr. Louie or Charlie as he is in the movie yeah. and is like, we're going to give you a bunch of cattle and a bull and you're going to do some ranching. So then the they're, they're like, oh man, I've, I've got all these cattle. You know what I'm going to do? Have a big old party because word's going to get around and everyone's going to come down to my place and be like, whoa, he's got all the cattle. Woo, let's celebrate. Let's Woo, drink. Let's have a party. That's what natives do. They just drink and party. They go on benders for just days at a time. Yeah. yeah. So irresponsible. They wouldn't know what to do with 20 cows and a bull if we fucking gave it to them for free. Haha, <laughs> get the joke. Haha, <laughs> so funny. The party is a roaring, and at one point they're like, man, maybe we should, you know, off one of these cows to feed these people because we're running out of food. Yeah, there's there's an old grandpa character. Yes. He's a big yikes in the book, and he's he's. I think he's the only one that was almost one-to-one -one translated, unfortunately. He speak like this. Yes. Yeah. He, he Talk, go like this. He say, go just he, he say squaw you know. every other sentence. Oh my God. I did. I had a really hard time with that. That is a word that white people, white men have historically used against women 
in an effort to demean and deride them. And that is the context in the movie that yeah, they're using it because he's just constantly harping on the mom. He sucks. Yeah. Everyone giving her shit because she and I. You know, I think the reason that they did that. I think this is the reason. So white people had a really big problem with the idea that in many indigenous communities, women are treated as equals. Mm. And part of dismantling that so that it fit within the rhetoric of white society was to so egregiously demean and debase indigenous women and make them such caricatures so that they could silence the dialogue behind these women having places of authority in their own social structures. So that's what actually I thought of right away when I saw her come in and they were like, Oh, look at her like stomping around, complaining about the house. She's supposed to do all this. She's not even cooking anything. She's not doing this. And it's like, wow, you guys are really doing your best to make Mm -hmm. sure that any white woman watching this movie wouldn't get a whiff of the truth, which is that, in many indigenous societies women are equals there's no fucking there's no old grandpa man standing around well sometimes there is because of misogyny and how that came to us through the church but there's generally in 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 most indigenous societies there's no old man sitting around watching his daughter-in-law work or pit her around the house or do fucking whatever and being like oh what a dumb fucking idiot woman that is look at her fucking gobe ought to shut her mouth more and make more food and blah 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 like that doesn't happen yes it happens in some contexts because the church came in and enforced misogyny and enforced that dialogue behind women being submissive literally if like there were a lot of cases where if you didn't beat your wife into submission the church would starve you the church would take away your means to make food shelter for your children clothes anything like that unless you adhered to the very strict moral rhetoric of making your wife submit to you and you, they really wanted to crush out any any time and place where women might you know, be like, hey, actually, we have some authority and control because that was such a huge threat to white women in white society that they might get a whiff of that and be like, oh, maybe I can have some ideas. Mm-hmm. That and some sounds like a good time. Like, yeah. yeah. So instead, what they have to do is demonize the shit out of them in movies and convince you that they're totally useless women. Well, good try anyway. Mm-hmm. You almost did it. And so they're going to, they're like, we need food. Let's kill one of the cows. But then they wake up days later and uh, hungover. He's like, oh, no, what happened? And then the mom's like, you idiots killed the bull. Yeah. Oh, crap. What are we going to do with all these cow and not no bull now? And so the remainder of the book and the movie is about them. They're they're putting all the responsibility on Joe to get them the damn bull because he's like, don't worry about it. I can fix this. I'm Joe. I can fix anything. Mm -hmm. And in the book, he's so much worse in that he keeps taking whatever money they give him to get the bull and he's blowing it off on a bunch of other crap. He buys himself a car, which I mean, that happens here too, kind of. Mm -hmm. But like they do it in such a way to make it more like, oh, well, it's, you know. Yeah, the the car is another... Um, like framing device that they use to tell the audience like look at look at these poor fucking savages they wouldn't know what to do with a nice car even if we gave one to them not to say that I am not from a (laughs) reservation where there is a literal body of a car that was parked on my neighbor's lawn you know everybody's got that res car but fucking geez you know it's not the goddamn same thing I hate it so much (laughs) 
Once we're done with talking about this, though, we never have to look back and think about it ever I know. again. I'll never forget. I'll never forget what Elvis did to me. <laughs> you know? So let me finish. Let me. I know. Yeah. I know. Go. Go. The song Dominic in the movie was supposed to be Elvis was supposed to sing to the bull. That was the original setup. And he was originally like, he like, like walked into the producers like, we can't, we're not releasing this. This is, we can't do this. Why? I just, I don't know. Obviously anything else can go apparently, but this is, oh no, now we've gone too far. You wouldn't want him to look silly singing to a bull (laughs) while he's all browned up to play an indigenous person. Elvis, read the room. Anyways. Yeah. Elvis acting like an animal. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Elvis acting like an animal while he sings to a literal animal. That's just too far. But in the final context of the movie, he's singing it while chasing after these girls, even though the lyrics still yeah. pertain to him because it's, it's him trying to goad the bull because the, they get a bull, but it's an old bull. And just like in the book, the yeah. bull wants nothing to do with these cow because yeah. it's so freaking old and useless. So it just kind of sleeps all day. And they're like, come on, yeah. come on, you got to do your work. And so he sings to the bull to try to be like, come on, Dominic. Yeah. Girls are great. You want to get with the girls. <laughs> It's yeah. so stupid. It's really bad. Oh, crap. We missed. We, we, we skipped. We only talked about the French title. The other alternate titles for this movie were going to be Born Rich. That's insulting. Which has no bearing on anything, really. And then yeah. Bumblebee, oh, Bumblebee, which is even more like, what are you talking That's about? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. What I'm is glad this? they went with Stay Away Joe. Like It's the sound of white studio executives not giving a goddamn shit. We've called out the factoids on IMDb. Yeah. But usually we don't call out the titles. I'm going to maybe call out, like, where are you getting this information? Because I can't True. understand a possible reasoning for where this comes from. Yeah. I read the book. There's no... Bumblebee doesn't have anything to do with anything. Like, yeah. anyways. Yeah, so he's singing to the girls. Then they find out the bull is like a really good bull for like riding or something. And it yes. tucks off all In the, the book, there's a whole p- subplot with horse racing, which they just combined with bull riding yeah. to, to simplify yeah. things. So in the movie, they are like, oh, this bull, you know, he's impossible to ride. No one's ever ridden him for more than eight seconds. So they bring him to a rodeo and he's like, oh, yeah, he tells a bunch of cowboys about how this bull can't be ridden and blah, blah, blah. And he's charging them to go ride this bull. And then he wins the bet and rides the bull and wins more and money. He's able to get all the money to fix all of the yeah. problems that he yeah, himself take caused all the throughout the film. cows back and all this shit. I like the part where the government shows up and is like, you fucking idiots, you pieces of garbage. What the hell's the matter with you? I see your house looks real fucking nice now, eh? And they're like, yeah. And then. He comes in that the last possible second. They're like, "Oh wow, you turned twenty cows into like a hundred cows. I guess you yeah. did do the good thing after all. All right, you win this time, but yeah. we'll be watching you." Yeah, Stupid. let's talk about the house, and then we can move on to the actors. Okay, so yeah, look, because there's two interweaving storylines, but there's the yeah. the bull the bull quest. We'll call it the quest yep. for the bull. And then there's the subplot with Joe's sister, yeah, who is dating this white guy, yeah, from like an affluent enough family, you know, yeah. And so he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna have my mom over." And so Joe's mom wants to bend over backwards to make her house look presentable, yes, enough for these white folks. Now let's talk about the fucking framing device of this shit. <laughs> Suffice it to say, when they open this movie, it's a big funny fucking joke that these people's house is like a literal shack. There's a big hole in the floor and she's like i big told you to fix floors. this hole he's like he just puts a little carpet over he's like eh, good as new haha <laughs> it's held up by one post in the middle of the house it's very it has like one bedroom 
you know, and that's it. And they're framing this and they're like, yeah, it's funny. It's funny because they're natives and they're so stupid and so useless and so poor. They can't even make their house look nice. They gotta live in a shack because they're so lazy and useless and whatever. And I really found that offensive. (laughs) I found a lot of things about this movie offensive, obviously. But I want to talk about that house specifically because I've seen pictures of what my reservation used to look like back in the 50s. And I've seen the house that my family grew Grew up in when they were living on the reservation and it is a literal shack it's like a cabin there's no rooms there's a wood stove there's a couple of windows a door and then there's 14 children somehow piled into that yeah and people don't realize that that's not for want of us you know not working hard enough or not bending over backwards to make ends meet that's because by that time we had been so displaced by the church by the federal government that there was no means necessary available to indigenous people whatsoever to make any kind of money and so those buildings were built not as a means to show that we were so poor we couldn't take care of ourselves but to show the absolute authority by which the fucking federal government and the church had over indigenous people because it was them who built those properties it was the church that went in and the federal government that went in and was like oh now that we've you know when you at that time you couldn't even leave your reservation without a a pass card you Mm -hmm. couldn't leave you couldn't go and work somewhere to go make money you weren't allowed to fish you weren't allowed to trap you weren't allowed to hunt you weren't allowed to do any of that shit and what you could get away with was so highly regulated that essentially they were starving you out so that you would be pliable and do what the church told you to do. And so to frame that in this movie, then they'd come in, they'd build cabins, they'd say like, this is your fucking cabin. You're going to fit all of your 16 kids in here. And if you don't like it, you can go fucking freeze in the snow for all we care. <laughs> and then they take these movies like this where they're like, haha, it's so funny. What a funny joke. What a funny joke. See, it's funny because they're useless and they're stupid and they're just lazy natives. And they don't know how to do anything for themselves. It's funny. Look at her putting linoleum up on her walls because she wants to have a better house. What an idiot. (laughs) Haha, so funny. I really found that so fucking offensive. It just made me so angry. (laughs) To to see that in my past and to see that from my family and then to watch it in a movie where people degrade people for living like that, not understanding the full context of what they're making fun of was a real tingler for me. That's the point where I started getting depressed. You know, sometimes you watch a bad movie and it's fun to get angry at it. But then I was just like, no, this is just sad. This is just really, really sad, isn't it? Yep. That's my stint about the house. So, and and the, oh God, I'm just going to, I'm rambling a little bit. You can cut me off if you want to. The shit with the fucking sister and her fucking white boyfriend. Yes. Also really pissed me off. The point at, at which this movie became unfun for me to watch was the exact moment that she was in her bank with Elvis and she turned to him and said he doesn't want to marry me my grandfather wants to fucking scalp white men and my it was just like it was just some she's like I can't live in his world yeah I don't belong in his world I don't belong in his world you know that in and of itself like white people telling us that indigenous people don't belong in their world oof 
gross. And they try to, like, smooth it over and make it better at the end where they're like, I don't care that you're native. It's like, gee, wow, thanks for your fucking vote of confidence. That's so great to hear that you couldn't care less about my heritage. That's great. You know, wonderful. And then they, what they don't say out loud, but what they show in this movie is that if you want to assimilate into white society, you have to stop acting like a fucking native. If what you want to do is find a nice husband and work a nice job and have a bright future for yourself, what you have to do is cut your hair, first of all. You'll notice that out of a lot of the girls that show up in this movie, she's one of the ones that doesn't have her hair grown out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to cut your hair and you have to live like a decent, upstanding citizen of society and not like a fucking native. And I was really pissed off about that too. (laughs) That really bothered me. I was like, holy shit, man, what's the matter with you? And I remember thinking to myself, like, isn't it funny that, like, why doesn't he have to come and live like her? Why does she have to live like him? Why isn't the onus on him? If he wants to marry her so fucking badly, why doesn't he sell his car, sell his house, sell all his fucking shit, and move on to the fucking reservation? Why doesn't he do that? Do you want to know why he doesn't do that? Because he's not allowed to. Because if he marries her, she loses her fucking status. She's not allowed to stay on the reservation anymore. But anyway, there's also other reasons. But just wanted to also throw that out there. No, no, that's good. Dumbass, bullock, bunch. God, there's there's too much Bullshit. to talk about. There's too much to unpack. I think this, that's this... the majority of it for me. I, I think okay. that's like all of the major talking points. Let's get on. Let's talk about. Okay, the well, well, yeah, okay, okay. Because there's like a whole there's the whole subplot with he's shacking up with the damn liquor store owner, and then he shacks up with the daughter, and then she's trying to get revenge on him, and she shoots at him and stuff. And there's all this this other thing. Yeah. It's almost like they hate native people for some reason. Here's one interesting part about that, I guess. Okay. If anything. So Elvis was 32 when he made this movie. Yep. And Joan Blondell, who plays Callahan, was 61. Oh my God. A pretty good looking 61. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, Holy shit. But yeah, so there's a lot of flirt- flirting up a storm, which is, so, yeah, <laughs> that's the whole thing. Wait, 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 wait. Which girl is that? That's 61. That's the, the, the owner of the bar. Oh. Callahan. Yeah, Miss no, Callahan. pretty good 61. Yeah. So in the good. book, there was a Mr. Callahan that he butts heads with. And then here's 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 a perfect example to show how much shittier he is in the book. Okay. Book Joe gets Callahan arrested on purpose. He snitches to the authorities because he's selling booze to the reservation. Yeah. Just so that he's like, don't worry, Callahan. I'll take care of your wife while you're gone in jail. Yikes. Like he sucks. He's so irredeemable. Yeah. Um, they excise that character completely so there's just so she is the owner of the bar and also is you know flirting with him and stuff but then he gets involved with the daughter yeah the 19 year old girl was really cute but I didn't like that she was 19 in the movie well you want to take a guess at how old she is in the book Oh, is she like 17 17 exactly oh, that's awful yep that's awful anyways cool <laughs> Okay, let's talk about let's, these. Let's yeah, talk about, the, talk about the characters. Number one, Elvis Presley. Shouldn't have been in this movie. Yep. Don't know why he's here. At this point, just collecting a paycheck. So once again, this is like, God, we have some like really heavy hitter good actors saddled in this damn production. And you're going to, I'm going to, uh, you're going to hear the words so. Oscar nominated and Oscar winning multiple times as I go down this list, unfortunately. Awful. So let's talk about Burgess Meredith, Charlie Lightcloud. Okay. Out of all these, like the whitest of a bunch. Okay. Oh yeah. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what the hell they did to his face, too. Because it wasn't just that he was brown. They, like, the eye shadow going yeah, on in put, his... They gave him, like, raccoon eyes. Yeah, what the hell? I just... Ugh. Anyways, really off-putting. 
So Burgess Meredith was in three different episodes of The Twilight Zone. Most famously, he was the the banker in Time Enough at Last, you know? There was time oh. now. There was all the time. That's that guy. Yeah. He's great. Um, not in this, but he's great in most things. Mm-hmm. He received two Oscar nominations for Best Supporting Actor, both after this movie came out. One of them was for 1975's The Day of the Locust, and the other one was for 1976's Rocky. He plays... Jesus. The gym owner who trains Rocky, you know? Wow. You're gonna eat lightning and crap thunder. Yeah. He's got a wicked, like, Bronx accent <laughs> he's trying to pass off in this movie. It is not working. No. More so than Elvis, this is maybe the biggest miscasting. Yeah. I mean, what, what is going on? What do you mean on? there's no bull? What do you mean we ate the bull? What are you talking about? I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Okay. Joan Blondell, who plays Glenda Callahan. She, Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress for the 1951 movie The Blue Veil, Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress for the 1977 movie Opening Night, and she also played Vi the Waitress in Greece in 1978. Mm. Let's talk about the mom, Kay. Annie Lightcloud. She sucks. In this movie, yes. everyone. Yeah, in this movie. This everyone. is a bad portrayal. Yeah. Everyone in this movie sucks. So in the what book, she yeah. she's not half Mexican. That's never a thing. But obviously they cast her, yeah. and at least they had the most smallest modicum of like self-awareness that they're like we can't just have her talking like her accent yeah. is it's very obvious that she's a mexican actress so yeah. we're just she gonna started she started playing <laughs> in this movie and i was like are you trying to explain <laughs> to me that it, it's one thing that you want me to accept fucking whatever his goddamn name is is a native person but you mean to tell me that when you're swearing in mexican at the government officials you mean to tell me that you're a fucking niche you're a fucking native is that what you're telling me no and then later on I have a feeling it was almost like a reshoot. They went in and they were like, I'm half Mexican on my mother's side. <laughs> she looked directly at camera see. and went, yeah. I'm half Mexican. And then they continued. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> so no. has yes. she done anything cool? Yes. She... she did something yeah. really cool. She played Helen Ramirez in High Noon in 1952. Oh, God damn it. She actually reprised the role. Wow. I, this is a thing I didn't know about. So one fun thing that I found out that this was indirectly responsible for me finding out about one thing that didn't make me want to kill myself about this movie was that she reprised her role she reprised her role as helen ramirez there was a follow-up to high noon it was a failed tv pilot Mm -hmm. so it just exists as a standalone tv movie now gotcha made in 1966 called high noon colon the clock strikes noon again which is a really funny (laughs) subtitle strikes noon again but it, it in the the show it's gary cooper's character's son who returns to the town from high noon cool and i guess i'm assuming he comes to the town and then some bandit is like we're gonna duel at noon and they just do the same plot again that's fucking hilarious <laughs> oh no just like my daddy I, but yeah she's back okay what else did she do well she was the first latin american actress nominated for an oscar oh for a best supporting cool. actress nomination for the 1954 movie broken lance wow And then the guy who plays the grandpa, Thomas Gomez, Mm -hmm. was the first Spanish-American to be nominated for an Oscar. Oh, very nice. Best Supporting Actor nomination for Ride the Pink Horse in 1947, and he played the minister in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, that crazy bonkers sequel, the the original Planet of the Apes that I've talked about many times now. Cool beans. Let's move on to the other family member. We have Mary, the sister, Mary Lightcloud. Mm -hmm. She's played by Susan Trustman. She is best known for for playing the character of Pat Matthews Randolph. That was the character she played in 118 episodes of Another World, which is a soap opera between 1964 and 1967. The other most prominent character is Bronk Hoverty. Yeah, Bronco. Bronk the Buddy. Yeah. LQ Jones, who plays Bronk. 
Yeah. He actually had previously appeared in two other Elvis movies. One of them, his, his debut, Love Me Tender. Oh, holy jeez, that long ago. Yeah, uncredited role as Party Fleming. Mm. And he appeared again in Flaming Star. Yeah. Big time character actor, 165 credits. He also directed two films. Huh. One of which is the all-time weird 70s cult classic, A Boy and His Dog from 1975. Oh, interesting. So, Mammy Callahan, the daughter, yep. little Miss 19-year-old, <laughs> the actress is Quentin Dean. She made her debut the year before this as Dolores Purdy in In the Heat of the Night mm. with Sidney Poitier and uh, Rod Steiger. That movie is really good. I've talked about that before. Yeah. Also, the year before this, 1967, she played Jenny in Will Penny. <laughs> Rhymes. Will Penny. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I know. It's just. It's the simple things, okay? We have to think oh, about no, the, the small joys. Okay. It was the movie that we talked about in the clam bake episode because Lee Majors was in Will Penny. This is not important. With, the point with, is she was Quentin Dean. She was also in that movie. Yeah. That there you go. That's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then Moving she on. also played she only had eleven credits. Did I mention that? So like only okay, so four of those time. were films. The rest was TV. Gotcha. So it's literally this one, In the Heat of the Night, Will Penny, and then her fourth film is The Young Runaways, the same year as this, mm. 1968. She played Joanne, mm. which was like a delinquent teen thing, yeah. tackling hard-hitting issues, you know, much more mature, much more interesting <laughs> than this. Yeah. Everything else she did was more interesting than this. Yeah. Two more people. Kay. We're going to talk about the Hawkinses. Angus Duncan plays Lauren Hawkins, the fiancé to Mary. Yep. And then there's his mother who comes in to visit. So Miss Hawkins, 137 credits, longtime character actress. Wow. She made her debut as Mrs. Lucy Stark in All the King's Men from 1949. Oh, cool. I still yeah. haven't seen that movie. And then her final film, she played a Chisholm newspaper publisher in Field of Dreams in 1989. Hmm. Then there's Angus Duncan, who plays Lorne Hawkins. Yep. He played Sir James of Scotland in The Magic Sword from 1962, oh. which co-starred Gary Lockwood, who was in It Happened at the World's Fair and Wild in the Country with Elvis. Absolutely. But here's another thing, though. Yep. Him and his yeah. prospective fiance, played by Quentin Dean, oh. the same year as this movie, they were also both in The Young Runaways. He played Dan Clark in The Young Runaways. Oh, interesting. Lastly, let's end with some factoids, and then I got to read these contemporary reviews gotcha. calling this movie bullshit because it is bullshit. All right. So, really quick. During the fight scene at the party... Oh, can we also... Wait, sorry. Sidebar. Yeah. We got to talk about how the fact that every time there's a conversation trying to be had in this movie, they're just like fighting each other and rolling on the ground, rolling in the dirt, like yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Can we talk about that one scene where like you can tell like the guy that directed this movie just wanted so much to get to the part where like the cowboys were flying all over the place after being bucked off. Oh yeah, off. the montage of them getting bucked yeah, off the of the, just the bull. cowboys flying all over the place. <laughs> just... And like it not just that, but there was a lot of other like weird smash cuts and montages in this movie where they were like, let's just play things and play things the same things, but they're different things, but let's play them like over and over again. And that's a scene. That's a scene in a movie. And like, it was really weird. It's really weird. It's really strange. For as much as there was some nice naturalistic cinematography because it was shot on location, mm -hmm. the sound design on any fight scene bad. or any other yeah, like so comedy, like slapstick, what? there was so many, yeah, there was like cartoon <laughs> slide whistles and all this shenanigans. Yeah, it was really fucking stupid. Okay. During the fight scene at the party, Elvis Presley goes outside to tell the band to play something slow. Uh -huh. And he and his friend Charlie Hodge, who has a bit role in the film as a guitar player in the band, mm -hmm. they start cracking up during Elvis's line. 
Allegedly, Charlie later said that the reason for the laughter was because it was cold outside and Elvis's nose was running when he was saying the line. Gross. <laughs> That's funny. Because you can see it. I, and I look, I read this before watching the movie and I was look, keeping a lookout for it. And it's true. Like, yeah. it's like, it's not like a, like acting laugh. Like they're literally like, this is like just a take where yeah. they kind of goof, but they kept it in. Because he just pokes his head out and he's like, hey, could you guys play songs? <laughs> and then he goes back inside. <laughs> Yeah. So other than Charlie Hodge, two other of Elvis Presley's good friends, close friends, were in this movie. Mm-hmm. Del, Sonny West, and Joe Esposito. Mm. I guess this should have, I should have included this while we were talking about the songs. This is poor formatting on my part. So the opening, the, the credits, opening credits tune, Stay Away. Yep. The melody of it is Green Sleeves. Oh, shit. The classic little piano piece. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So that's, that's how checked out I was right at the start. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here are some reviews that came out when the movie hit the scene in 1968. But will you do them in a funny voice? I'll Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I'll humor you. Feeling generous after all we've been through <laughs> with this episode. Do, do a cowboy one. Okay, let's do a cowboy one. Yeah. So Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times wrote that the film could scarcely seem more embarrassingly tasteless or ill-timed than right now. <laughs> Something about the cowboy voice. <laughs> okay, keep going. In an unintentionally patronizing way, it projects an image of the Indian as a happy-go-lucky, immoral, and irresponsible just when the public is becoming aware of how truly tragic his plot is. No <laughs> amount of good-naturedness and stay-away Joe undeniably has plenty of that can compensate for humor based on stereotypes so offensive to minority group sensitivities. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm glad to hear that this movie sucked when it came out, too. Yeah, it was not a I'm... big box office success. It probably made enough money because I think it was cheap enough yeah. to make as most of were, but... When we're so far removed from the cultural dialogue back then, you know, we don't have people that we can personally talk to to really get the idea of what the culture was like. So I'm glad to hear that um, the people fucking hated this movie because it was super insensitive and absolutely a racist caricature in every wrong way possible. Glad yes. to hear it. I got a few more. Have, yeah, mo- this was mostly yeah. the consensus. Let's go with posh British. I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear people shit on this. Okay. So moving on to the next review, which is from Variety. So Review and Variety reported generally flat comedy with many forced slapstick <laughs> situations and echoed Thomas's review by stating that the story was out of touch with latter-day appreciation of some basic dignity in all human beings. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, at best, nice. at best, film is a dim artistic accomplishment. At worst, it caters to outdated prejudice. Custer himself might be embarrassed for the Indians. <laughs> shit man i know they really just went at it and it's great it's so good and lastly the monthly film bulletin reported meandering elvis presley comedy rather short on invention except for an amiable hectic finale the musical (laughs) offerings are if anything even less memorable than usual god it's fabulous yeah number 15 burger king foot lettuce let's wrap things up with our final thoughts (laughs) yes please um give me another um indigenous film recommendation oh indian horse oh yes horse that's a really good such one such a fabulous film i think that one's on netflix it is on netflix so you can watch it if you're on netflix you can read the book and it is a wonderful story about especially about the institution of residential schooling and how it completely dismantled indigenous society and tried to at every core and it is a depressing movie and the ending is not a happy ending 
it's one where people have to make peace with what has happened in their lives so it's it can feel a little bleak so i actually haven't watched indian horse i've read the book Mm. i haven't seen the movie yet because it's such a it's it's such a pain it's it's a very close to home experience there's people in my family that have been through residential schooling and it takes a lot to sit down and watch it when you're coming from the perspective of an indigenous person. But if you're coming at it from the perspective of a white person and you have started to scrape the surface about residential schooling, I suggest that you watch this movie or better yet, read the book. Mm-hmm. It will very clearly open your eyes to the cruelty that was bestowed upon the indigenous people by the federal government and the Catholic Church. Which is more what never more relevant than this year yeah. Then this time more that relevant we're in. when they're when the bodies are piling up in the schools in Canada. Never a better time to start reading about that shit. And also, um, for the Americans here, we're recording um On Thanksgiving. We're recording on Thanksgiving, so uh Yeah, I thought about that in the back know, of my fuck, mind. <laughs> fuck Columbus, go read Indian Horse. <laughs> <laughs> and fuck this movie too. Don't watch it. I think that's our final words on that, which yeah, yeah. couldn't put a bit of myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for coming with us on another difficult journey. Yeah, thanks so much. I I have to wonder about your guys' sanity, to be honest, at this point. Because <laughs> Matt and I, I don't know if we're well anymore after this series. After especially Stay Away Joe. So, you know, kudos to you guys for, for making it out here and engaging with us. We really appreciate it. So, yeah, you know where to because find us, can, yeah, as always. Us. Twitter, Facebook, various places. Mostly those Twitter two. <laughs> Elvis has Elvis has left pod. Yes, oh, you got it. Did it. <laughs> Third Finally. times the charm, or however many times. <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Elvis has left the movies. We got a new view today, but I didn't engage at all because I'm just really tired. I think it's a great pa- place for people to post their Elvis memes if you have any. So come down to the Facebook. It's like the Twitter, but if the Twitter was a degenerate state of disarray, mm-hmm. you can come join us there. It's a lot of fun. And um, with that, I guess we'll wrap up and we'll yes. say... as always, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much.